Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Shop. We are back in a new year it's 2023 got eric fresh from his trip to vegas is that correct uh yeah mammoth and then vegas oh man oh so you did some skiing too huh shredding my life out oh good for you buddy you gotta you gotta take the time to enjoy the the hard-earned gains don't you i would yeah i mean mammoth was all free to be honest with you so there was no gain spent there but vegas is always expensive oh, so well yeah that's true <laughs> i'm sure vegas made up the difference for you <laughs> yeah, if, if, if you sneeze in vegas you've spent money right <laughs> that's uh, funny i was just i was talking to mel about that and one of the funny things about vegas is i feel like they get commerce they have it down so, it's so easy to spend your money i bought yeah. a slice of pizza a slice of pepperoni pizza it was nine dollars it was like and, Disneyland. Dude, it was so fucking good. I had it two more days in a row. Like, <laughs> it's expensive. It's overpriced. I know it's not right, but they make it easy to spend. Because you're like, well, I didn't get a shitty piece of pizza. It was a really good piece of pizza. So fine. Take the $9. Yeah, yeah. It's all about value, right? Exactly. Oh, well, we are going to be talking about some news. But I think before we jump into that, I got to take a minute to say thank you to our sponsors and friends. Uh as this is January, be surprised to know that we did end up getting a deal with Manscaped. So I'd like to thank everybody that helped support us uh, in making that happen. It's a, definitely a milestone for the show. Along with Manscaped, we'd like to thank our friends too at Trade Pro Academy and Orderflow Labs. As you all know, Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming with precision-engineered tools to protect your family jewels. And with those holidays over... Now's the perfect time if you missed out on that stupid 20% off discount code that they offered to everybody. Now you can actually get ours and take advantage of that. Uh, we're using promo code 2 at manscaped.com. As always, that is the number two. When it comes to institutional quality, trading, education, look no further than tradeproacademy.com. In our free Discord server, you'll find instructions to take advantage of our discount with them as well. For all you degenerates who enjoy trading futures, definitely want to check out those custom tools and studies over at orderflowlabs.com. And of course, everybody needs to subscribe to Eric's YouTube channel over at ES Invests. Lots of great content on there. And hopefully we'll be doing a little more future collaborations together. And okay. <laughs> Fair enough. And lastly, be sure to reach out with your suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests. You can do that via email at Two Bowls of Financial Ineptitude, or you can just uh, join that free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. Sure to put all those links in the episode description. But now that we got all that out of the way, let's uh, let's talk about some stuff that happened this week. Can you spell aficionado? Yeah, A F F I C A N A D O S. Good for you. Does does Excel do uh, spell check? No, I mean I thought it was it's one F, right? A F I. 
Oh, it might be. I don't know. <laughs> if, yeah. if Excel doesn't that's do spell check, I, I just read you, it. That's <laughs> actually why I asked you, because I didn't know if it was one F or two Fs. I thought it was two Fs, but just looked now, up now I have to look it up. It is one F. Damn. Let me fix that script. That's a, that's that's a, a sick burn. Fuck you to the host. <laughs> you hate to see that. <laughs> hey, I've never pretended to be right. Well, I was just going to say, at least everybody knows that we're out here keeping it real because apparently we're fucking spell checking on air. Oh, no, no, no. I'll be editing all that out. <laughs> <laughs> just the part where you said, good job. <laughs> and I'll, I'll snip the other F out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the power of editing. <laughs> all right. What should, we, uh, what should we jump into? I saw the Fed meeting notes were released today. Was there anything, anything surprising in that? I mean, it's just a rehash um, of what we already knew, right? Dude, I th- I literally think that's it. I, I think the the name of the game hasn't changed much at all. Much at all, like despite pretty much everybody's desire and hopes for a Fed pivot. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like you were saying, there there's no none of them think we're going to see a pivot in 2023. And I think that uh, what is it? There's like uh, 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 15 of 19 policymakers are expecting the target rate to raise by three quarters of a percentage point or a full percentage point in the coming months. Ooh. So I, I, like, it literally looks like it's all business as usual. The, the one thing I have to keep saying they're doing a good job on is staying the course, even yep. though a lot of people question the course and they're communicating very effectively around the course. Yeah. They're, they're not hiding anything. They've done exactly what they've said. Uh, yep. It is and, kind of surprising to see that, like you mentioned there, the no participants projecting a reduction in any policy rate this year. Like that, I thought was kind of surprising. I thought there'd be at least one dissenter, but they are definitely united. Yeah, which I, I think is good. I think there is, what, um, and no more than seven officials in agreement on any particular rate in an economy that still may be flirting or muddling through a recession, which... That's always a fun conversation on the recession part, but yeah, you know, yeah. nonetheless, I, I think that essentially we can expect policy above five percent is yeah. really what I think it comes down to. And then I think on the backside is where we're going to see very likely way more dissent in terms of how they want to go about that. Yeah, the unwind I, th- I feel like is going to be a lot more mm-hmm. chaotic, and rightfully so. We've never mm-hmm. done this before. Like just about everything about this is first of its kind. So. You essentially just have to expect this to be a, a bit of a shit show. And I mean, there's just, there's so much baked into the policy at this point. So it, it will be really, in my opinion, like historic to see how this actually does unwind eventually. Oh yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I think is the only thing I can really say. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fair. And like you said, like being the first of its kind, we have nothing that we can look to to like try to get like, you know, comparisons. Zero scale. Right. Yeah. There's absolutely no scale. We've never seen really anything like this. And then also you coupled the market behavior that we've experienced at the same time. Mm -hmm. And this is all just a big experiment. And I get, you know, like they, they were backed in a pretty significant corner. So I know that they were doing what they could to try and navigate through all of this. But sooner or later, we we are going to unwind. And I think that that, man, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I really, I have, I have nothing. Most things that happen in the markets or the economy 
there's historic precedent of some sort. Right. But we can use other relatively quick rate increases and unwinds for some base mark. But the problem with that is it's just so different. It's so incredibly different that it's hard to draw a meaningful parallel there. Yeah, the 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 size and scope of the the previous ones don't even compare. Exactly. Yep. Well, I did see another piece of news that at least uh, points to the the effectiveness of their war on labor, uh, and that's what mm. Salesforce is planning to lay off ten percent of their staff, which equates to about eight thousand employees. It's kind of not, I didn't realize Salesforce was so freaking big. Yeah, it's I it's difficult because a lot of these places again you talk about whipsaw in the system mm-hmm. and during COVID a lot of these places saw just unprecedented need, right? Yeah. Especially yep. in tech. They were just blowing up with business. And you know, you kind of were experiencing the the other side of that because beyond Salesforce, it's really like Pretty predominant across tech in general. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You see these layoffs happening, and it's for that exact thing. They were hiring for one thing that persisted for a relatively brief period of time. And now they have to pivot again in order to make financial sense. Well, here's the thing with Salesforce, though, is I mean, let's see, it says that they're just under 80,000 right now at the end of October. Uh, so three years before that, they were about 48,000. So that's still pretty substantial growth. Even if you cut 8,000 out of that, there's still quite a lot more employees in the last three years than there were, you know, prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think, you know, despite the, I would call it relatively like a temporary kickback on mm-hmm. tech because tech definitely isn't quite as in vogue right now. But I mean, tech is still, it's one of the few segments of the market, in my opinion, that has just, insane growth prospects from here they have a scalability that a lot of other places don't have biggest problem for them is going to be the fed funds policies the harder it is to get money the harder it is to grow yeah yeah it's it's interesting and i mean even looking at we have some interesting labor force information coming out later this week that i'm really curious about but i think like uh uh what on i think Friday. It's non-farm payrolls. Yeah. We yeah. have um job openings today. Yeah, job openings came through today. The prior was 10.334 million. Consensus was 9.9, and that came in at 10.458. Wow. So yeah. yeah, that came in high. And then we also had the ISM manufacturing PMI. The consensus for that was 48 and a half and it came in at 48.4. So kind of right, right in line there. But yeah, I think later, later this week, when we see the payroll information coming out, I think that will be really important data for us. I hadn't been tracking the ISM as much lately. The last time I had looked at it was probably six months ago and it was still over. 50s when did it drop below the 50 because above 50 is supposed to be expansion and below is contraction yeah it's right it's been it's been been below 50 for a while has it been maybe yeah are you talking manufacturing or services i thought it was manufacturing but maybe i'm uh misremembering that yeah i already know i can't spell (laughs) yeah (laughs) non-manufacturing 
non-manufacturing is still above 50 um oh, okay, at okay. least the last one but manufacturing has been yet yeah, hovering below for we'll find out right now for you it's been a minute so it looks like probably last three months okay yeah that sounds about right yeah of 2022 because that was like one things of the... like new new orders dropped early i know new uh, orders yeah, dropped yeah. like mid 2022 and then i think inventories has been hovering above so yeah there's obviously there's the composite versus the individual pieces but yeah i think it's like probably last two or three months of 2022 is when it dropped below so all that information then like how, what picture is that painting for you it's just all part of a broader global theme and economic theme i always keep that in the back of my head i don't really trade too many long-term economic themes but it always informs my day-to-day decision-making specifically in terms of what kind of future impacts do I expect those kinds of forces to have on the markets? Mm -hmm. And what does that do to the trades that I'm putting on now? So for example, even though we're still seeing some market strength, I put on um, like three or four different tranches of short puts in IWM yesterday to kind of establish for the year. And it was across expirations and it varied essentially from 10 lots to 100 lots. And I just had them staggered all over the place. And as soon as we started seeing those moves yesterday and today, I started pulling those trades down. And it's for this exact reason. Do I think that the broader economic theme is necessarily going to capitulate while I'm in some of those trades, specifically the shorter term data trades? Not so much. But as we continue to build what I would call consider just general overhead mm-hmm. i think like that is a big part of how i choose to manage trades and where i will take profits when things are in profit bands like another thing i'm really keeping a close eye on right now is just g5 credit impulse percent essentially which is kind of a way for us to view money supply hmm. and that is just plummeted and that normally leads by four to five quarters something like that and right now, U.S. year-over-year CPI lags normally by like five quarters. And right. the S&P 500, the market itself, typically lags by like four quarters. So we have like this money supply metric. And you can look at Macro Alf. He's a dude that talks a lot about money supply and whatnot. He's on Twitter. Um, I, I like a lot of his work. And he he'll talk about this stuff. But the punchline is, as I collect all of these different data points. I just paint a broader picture, a broader general theme that I then use that to inform how I'm deploying day to day, what timeframes I'm picking, how much risk I'm offering, all of those things. Because my goal is to continue to deploy, but to try to position myself to have the lowest probability of just getting ran over. That's all I'm trying to do. I don't care if I'm wrong here and there, but I just don't want to be like, super wrong that's when it hurts yeah you don't want to be you don't want to be short in a rip your face off rally or you can't even get out exactly that's it that's exactly it if if i think if traders can trade general themes but not get and again you your timing can be wrong but as long as you are not dead wrong you can still kind of sort it all out like even Mm -hmm the COVID drop that we experienced, like I was positioned tentatively going into that drop because of the same 
like I theme process, I guess I'll just keep saying the same fucking word. Uh, but right. I, like it's because of the same exact process that I use. And I had risk going into the COVID drop that was bullish, but it was tempered. And that's essentially what allowed me to get through the drop on those bullish trades and actually make money on the backside mm-hmm. from it. So I think, yeah, all of this paints kind of that broader picture for me. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's uh, very interesting. Uh, what was the name of the 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 cash flow thing you're looking at? The G five. Yeah. So there's different metrics you can use depending on like what time frame and what level of cash flow you're trying to see. But the G five credit impulse. G five credit impulse. Yeah, that is essentially something that that guy I mentioned, Macro Alf, really focuses on. I don't necessarily think that needs to be the guiding feature for you. I think the main thing, realistically speaking, is any sort of significant money supply indicator. That's Mm -hmm. really what it comes down to. Theirs is just kind of like a specific version of that that they like to use. Right. Gotcha. But yeah, it at least what it looks like right now based on general money flows and you can use like different money indices as well. Again, if you don't want to use the, the G5 credit impulse. You can use other money indices and all of them essentially are showing the same thing. Gotcha. Well, I just wanted to, to know what to put because I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> uh, we'll make sure that Makarov is linked if anybody wants to throw a follow at him. If they're not already. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen. And I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Last thing we got to talk about SBF, right? There's got to be some more news on on this he's, this character. He's like the Kardashians of the finance world. <laughs> In that he helped a murderer get off? Uh, yeah, I get yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what additional skeletons are in this dude's closet? <laughs> right. Uh, you missed it. We talked a little bit about the book deal, but it looks like you found another piece of news. Uh, we did talk about the Robinhood shares uh, recently because... That was one of the assets that he borrowed customer funds for to, to purchase that stake. And I think there was a question of like who was going to try to seize that. Yeah, it's I, it looks like he he owned 56 million shares or 7.42% of Robin Hood's stock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when did he buy that? I was curious what his cost basis was because Robin Hood's kind of been in the shitter. Uh, I actually have absolutely no idea. Mm-mm-mm. So it looks like it's a 460 million FTX linked stake. That's probably so, about all the money he has left. <laughs> and I mean, the fact that he has anything left, pretty impressive, but. So, so what was the, what was in the story that you found? 
Yeah, it was it was mostly that just the the overall size of the position that he had, which I personally found pretty interesting. But then it's also the um, the fact that they're essentially going through all of his different assets. And as they flip up these different rocks, they're finding different things. And the fact that he, he pleaded not guilty that I can't believe I am literally like if you offered me probabilities on that. I would have said probably 70% probability that he would come up with a plea deal. Like I thought I for sure so. that's where he's going to go. Especially if you've seen some of the stuff that his, like the, the wouldn't have said about him. Like it looked like she was trying to position herself for a deal because she pled guilty. Yeah. I don't think she's fallen on the sword for him. Right. I, I look more no. like she was like, ah, I'll cooperate. Give me a better deal. I'll give you whatever you want. That's what I took it to me. It genuinely, it could be one of two things. It might be the deal that he was offered was pretty aggro because the prosecutors might look soft if it wasn't, you know, robust enough. So they might think they can be able to get something better through the trial. Like, I don't think there's a world where he gets off free here. But the other thing is, and this is a a thing that attorneys will do, man, like they make way more money if he goes to trial. Oh yeah. So they're they're incentivized. So if that's my at least loose hypothesis is those two things might have coincided together where the the prosecutors were being pretty aggro just because of all the publicity around this they didn't want to come in too soft and you get attorneys that are probably like I mean even if we get something better than this that's uh win enough for them and they'll make more money doing it. So um actually you make a good point. Is, didn't Biden like who? Well, let me maybe back up a minute here. Like, who is actually in charge of prosecuting this? Like, what branch of the government does it? Is this the SEC? Is this uh, is this some other uh, legal arm? Is it like a state attorney, like prosecuting if I'm attorney? Not, I'm not mistaken. It's the Department of Justice, isn't it? Okay, because a lot of the people that I know that Biden was installing in the um, like the SEC chair and. Um, people in like the market type spaces he was putting a lot of people in there that were like pro retail uh anti-corporation so i wonder if some of that was actually affecting uh the kind of if there was a deal there's a lot of speculation there maybe i should just stop (laughs) but this is all speculate like how could you not speculate on this It, it literally is like as this thread continues to get pulled it's like how could like I wouldn't be surprised if there's a dead hooker somewhere. Like, I don't know where they're at yet, but I mean, if we're talking about conjecture, I could see it at some point that might come. Like, there's just so much insanity that's come out of this story that I I don't even think like wild speculation is that wild given in context. Right. Yeah. So it looks like he was at federal court in New York City. So, yeah, it sounds like DOJ. Okay. Okay. Uh, They're moving pretty quick then. He's already got a plea in. Yeah. I wonder they 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 I assume they got to be fast tracking it to some degree just because of, you know, obviously the cryptocurrency's got to be hanging on this right now. No, oh, I'm sure. I want to know if the guy who is writing his book is still tagging along or if his access has been cut off yet. <laughs> Dude, what what do you even do with that book now? Oh, you have to release that. That's going to be amazing. And then but at the end it's just got to be like and it was all fucked up the end. <laughs> well, it makes you wonder, like, how much of that was he picking up on when he was trailing him for like the six months before that this whole collapse happened? Because he'd been following him around for he's had a front row seat to this whole thing, as Robert said last week. You've got to imagine that they've just been 
watching this, you anybody that's like even reasonable in their assessment of things has to have been looking at this, saying this is this is all fucked up like a football bat. Right. Like this is none of what's happening here makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah. my guess. Oh, well, that's enough of that. Uh, we'll definitely have another update next week, I'm sure. <laughs> just can't stop ourselves. SBF, right. yeah. I just can't quit him. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I'd like, as of right now, you might be able to consider me an SBF groupie because I know, right? At this point, I'm just waiting for the Theranos uh, treatment. Like, I want to see the the Netflix special. Mm, did you see the Netflix special on um, AMC and GameStop? No, I didn't. I was very that? good. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, mm, even even okay. my wife, who doesn't really like this stuff, mm-hmm. like multiple points during that, like like no shit, her jaw dropped, and she was like, "What?" So there's a lot of stuff in there that's just very difficult to believe happened. I didn't realize that come out already. All right, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to check that out. Um, last thing I wanted to talk before we wrap up here is just uh, with it being the new year, I was kind of struggling with like getting the motivation to try to get back into the grind of doing all the things that I have to do uh, to to be successful. And I was just curious, like what your process is for how to get back into it after you've been off for you know extended periods of time. I'm. I'm probably one of the annoying people like you just never you stop. To, yeah. You don't, have to, <laughs> you don't have to get back in shape if you don't get out of shape. Like yeah. I, I am very much one of those people. And the way that I've built my approach to trading, it's very flexible. Mm-hmm. So what like the positions I was talking with you about yesterday, those positions really are built around longer term kind of just establishing risk early. So for me, a lot of times I will try to front load the year a little bit so that I can at least get risk established and then move around that risk as I need to. This Mm -hmm. changes depending on just the way I feel about the broader markets. Like right now, I don't feel as tenuous as I did in 2020 or even in 2021 because I feel like a lot of the information is out and digested, barring the stuff that comes off the wall that I don't know. So. The way that I would consider for kind of the more active people that have what I would consider to be a more arduous process in general, I always think about starting with lighter risk in those scenarios. Like if you're a day trader that's trying to, you know, get back into identifying your signals and stuff like that, I would be going lighter risk. I, I purposefully develop an approach to trading that I don't have to do that because I do find that very arduous. But I understand that for some people, that's their preference, but I think there's nothing wrong with being mindful of how much risk you choose to offer the markets and and keeping that to a minimum. But other than that, I I really do think there's something to be said for, and this is why I talk about almost always maintaining market exposure, because it's not like literally nothing has changed. The only Mm -hmm. thing that happens, I'm going to have to pay a bunch of fucking taxes, which I hate. But (laughs) other than that, like the process as I deploy it, it makes zero difference to me if it's the end of December, if it's the beginning of January, if I've taken a week off, two weeks off, a month off, it's all the same. Yeah. There's not, uh, yeah, no routines that you have to try to get back into. You kind of maintain them as you go. And speaking of routines, I like, even when I'm off, I still keep a lot of my regular routines. Like if I'm, when I was up in mammoth and whatnot, like I was still working out, Mm -hmm. I always work out. So For me, it's easy to maintain those kind of routines. Really, the most difficult routine to get back into is martial arts because some of these people 
you know, when you train with the same people for a while, you get very similar, mm-hmm. but some of them, you know, you, you have to like get back into the the swing of feeling a active opponent again. You know what I mean? Like that's a little different, but for, for trading, I think I would start with small risk scale in as you identify general market themes, which I do think if people don't do that automatically, like I tend to do, I do think that's super important to like look at the broader economic picture, not try to predict where the market's going to go, but to just try to get a sense of where do you see risk and mm-hmm. how do you think the market will react throughout the year? Because again, I think all of that's super informative on how you choose to execute your day to day. I think uh, I like your sports analogy, actually. There are some parallels to sports and trading. Like, you're not going to just step onto the you know the gridiron and go uh, uh, and start the game like after you've been sitting on your ass for like two weeks. No, you gotta you gotta build your way back up to that to game time shape, right? Exactly, and I think that for the people that that trade that way, I would you know liken it to a training camp for any sport like a fighting, right? Mm-hmm. Those guys go through a specific camp leading up to whatever event they're going to compete in. And I think if you trade that way, that that's exactly the way I would view the the lower risk um, scaling in over a period of time. It's kind of like training camp. Gotcha. I think, yeah, I think for me, I tend to deploy more like those fighters that would have a shorter term training camp just because they stay closer to whatever their competition is. Mm-hmm. And really for a lot of those dudes, training camp just comes down to making weight and their, you know, weight making process. But so the skill set otherwise, though, they're essentially training all year. And that's the way that I, I tend to identify a little bit more. Well said. Thanks for that, Eric. Thanks for uh, for dropping by again. We missed you last week. Thanks to all the listeners who, who made, you know, 22 an amazing year for us. Uh, I'm going to have some more announcements coming out probably in the next week or so. <laughs> Should we just say goodbye and just be done with it? Goodbye. <laughs> Can you say it with some feeling, though? I, it always sounds like you're... Like, just like, goodbye. Or are you just sad to be going? Is that the problem? Goodbye. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> See you next week. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.